Okay, good evening, everybody. I'd like to express my gratitude to the Seltzer family for sponsoring this evening's shear in honor of Chaim Lapkin. Chaim, one of the pillars of the community, he has been so incredibly influential and inspirational to all of us with his, uh, his hasmada, his diligence in learning, his commitment to davening, being a loyal friend. And uh, we are so incredibly happy for him, making Aliyah. And uh, we will miss you greatly. It's very exciting you're finally at this point where it looks like it's going to happen. It should be with Siata Deshmaya and uh, a lot of Nachas and Mitzvah going forward. This is the season where we express gratitude. We get together and we eat dead bird and we, uh, we enjoy the Thanksgiving holiday. Somebody told me that I don't celebrate Thanksgiving because I believe Thanksgiving is really every day of the year. And I said, yeah, right. <laughs> Halavai Thanksgiving should be a day of real Thanksgiving. It's not so simple. The science behind gratitude is something that we're well aware of, and we know that there have been now many studies that show people who consciously choose daily to seek out people and things they're grateful for, they end up being happier and healthier. Uh, there was a breakthrough study in 2003 where Professor uh, Robert Emmons, he gave a group of students the job to write down on a personal journal all of the wonderful things that happened throughout the day, make a list of all of the people and experiences you're grateful for, and he gave the task to other group of students, basically write down all of the things that bug you, that annoy you, that, uh, that you wish were not part of your life, but sadly they are. Surprisingly, they found that the people who were focused on the good, writing down all of the, the positive things and people in their life, they walked away from this experience, they were happier, they were healthier, and they found there was at least a 23% reduction of stress in all of those people who just tried focusing on the good, focusing on the positive. So this is not a surprise, obviously, one very important part of the recipe for living a life of simcha is having that mindset, having that attitude where I'm always looking for the good and I'm appreciating the positive. But I will share with you something that's somewhat frightening. Rav Yitzchak Isaac Sher, personality we quote often, the Rosh Hashivah and Slobodka, he writes that there are many midos many qualities that we have when we're younger. They're part of the, uh, the growing up process. And they don't leave us when we get older. Unless we are proactive and try to really transform the way we view the world and view ourselves, many of these midos that we had when we were three, four, and five years old will still be with us when we're 35 and we're 45 and we're 55. He says, one of the great challenges in life 
is to be able, as we grow physically, as we mature intellectually, is to make sure that the midos hanefesh, character traits based on society, based on family, based on childhood, don't stay with us to the point where I could be in the middle age, but I have the sophistication of a toddler when it comes to, he writes, for example, Hakaras Hatov. Fielding Hakaras Hatov doesn't come naturally. So with all of the studies in the world and all of the research telling us, the more you focus on the good, the happier and the healthier you're going to be, that's wonderful. It's misnavir, it makes sense, that's true. But Rav Isaac Sher tells us it's not so easy how to actually do that. Not just to express gratitude, but to really live a life where I am grateful. He writes, Right? From the youngest age, our parents told us to say, thank you. Why am I saying thank you? Because you gave me something, and now my mother is telling me, say thank you. So eventually what happens in the mind of a child is somehow I connect saying thank you with getting stuff. And when I'm able to express verbally my gratitude for something I received from you, the more likely you're going to give me more of that in the future. So says of Isaac Sher, if you really think about it carefully, all of that training, say thank you, right? Say, toda. what's really happening? I'm, I'm really, you're indoctrinating me to become selfish, and the way that I will get more, and the way that you'll feel okay about giving me more, is as long as I say thank you. But that has nothing to do with the hargasha, with the internal feeling of gratitude. And therefore, it's possible that if we don't work hard, if we're not proactive in trying to uproot our, our childhood feelings of what it means to be grateful and develop more sophisticated, deeper appreciation for those in my life, those who I love, those who I care for, even as we get older, we could be in our 80s and 90s, we'll still have the sophistication, we'll have the perception of gratitude that we had when we were five and six years old. So it's a wonderful thing to tell me, be positive, live with Hakarasatov. But how do we do that? How do we not just express gratitude, but really make ourselves grateful. The brother of the Vilna Gon, Rabbi Avram, who is also a giant in Torah in his own right, he was the author of the Sefer Milos HaTorah, the, uh, the grandson of Rabbi Avram, writes about his father during his last moments of life. I want to share with you a couple of lines. This is composed by the grandson of Rebavram, the brother of the Vilna Gon. And he speaks about a conversation that took place between the Vilna Gon sitting by the bedside of his dying brother and Rebavram. 
Kasher Cholah B'choli, Choli Me'ayim Kama Shvuos, when Rabbi Avram was ill for many weeks in intense pain, Lo Nishma Mimenu Shum Kol Genicha, we didn't hear any complaining. Somehow he was just dealing with the pain almost in a supernatural way. One afternoon, his brother, the great Vilna Gon, was sitting next to him, being Mavakar Chola, trying to encourage his brother. And seeing his brother in such a terrible matziv, seeing how, how sick and how, how he was fading away, his chilmar avi livkoa livkos, the Vilna Gon began to cry. So just as the Vilna Gon started to cry, his brother told him, he was upset. He said, Mata Bocha, why are you crying? Why are you crying about the beautiful gift that I've received for so many decades? That Kaddish Baruch Hu has showered me with blessing. V'im hayu bikoach, and he said on his deathbed, in tremendous agony, if I had the, the power, if I had the strength, ha'izi mefazeizu merakeid b'chol klishir al-rov ha-tova shehetiv imodi b'yisurim, I would be dancing and skipping and leaping just to express my hakaras ha-tov, even right here and now. And his grandson concludes, this was the mantra. This was the attitude of the great brother of the Vilna Gon. He never left that feeling of joy, that fire of Simcha, until his holy soul left this world. Was he comfortable? He was far from comfortable. It sounds like he was in excruciating pain but he had this deep-rooted core of Simcha Sachayim to the point where he had to chastise his brother, the Vilna Gon. Don't you cry? <laughs> I've had so much bracha. Now, for us to picture ourselves in that position, on that level of Avodah Hashem, it seems very, very far. But how do we even get close to that? How can we start moving forward towards that, that worldview of Rabbi Avram, the brother of the Gra? I want to focus on three ideas here. Uh, these are three strategies for enhancing Hakara Satov, not just expressing gratitude, but living with gratitude. The first is the idea of feeling that I'm undeserving of the good that I'm receiving. We'll have to explore that together. It does not mean that I am unworthy. I am very worthy. It does not mean that I have to disrespect myself. But it means I don't necessarily deserve all the bracha and the chesed that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is showering upon me. The second idea we'll explore together is how to become a connoisseur when it comes to life and when it comes to the blessings of life and the people in life who are blessings. Not just to look at the, uh, the big overarching concepts or, or turning points or milestones, but to be able to really delve into each element of what's happening, every aspect of the bracha that I'm receiving. And the third, the third component here is taking the gratitude and not just living with it as a machshava, but transforming it into action. 
So the feeling that we are undeserving of the, the bounty of bracha, the ability to be a connoisseur, to appreciate all of the details within the chesed that Hashem is bestowing upon us, and not just to feel gratitude, but to put the gratitude into action. We have the fourth child, the fourth son of Leah, who's born in the Parsha. And we know that famously she says, Hapam Oda Es Hashem. This is now a Joey Newcomb song, so we all know this by now. Hapam Oda Es Hashem, this time I thank Hashem. Alkein Karushmo Yehuda, therefore his name was called Yehuda, the Talmud Miletus, and then she stopped conceiving. Hapam Oda Es Hashem, now I thank Hashem. So the Gemara in Brachas explains what the intention of, of Leah was when she was expressing this, uh, this feeling of Bracha. Amr of Yochanan Mishum of Shimbar Yochai. Miyom Shibora HaKadosh Baruch HaVasolomo from the day that Hashem created the world. Lohaya Adam Shehoda LaKadosh Baruch There was never another human being who was able to say thank you to Hashem. Ad Shabbos until Leah came around and she said, thank you. And that's the intention of Hapam Oda Es Hashem. Now I express my gratitude to Hashem. So the obvious question here that many of the Mepharshim are bothered by is it's impossible to say that before Leah Yemenu named her fourth son Yehuda, other great Torah giants were not expressing Hakar Satov. Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, Noach, Shem, Aver. There were many people who we know were bringing karbonos, were, were davening, were giving shevach and hodah to Hashem. So, what exactly was, was so unique about the hodah of Leah? That never happened in the world before she came along and said, thank you for giving me my fourth child. <clears throat> so there's a Medish Rabbah that the Rashbah quotes here to explain what was so incredibly unique about Leah's Hakara Satov. I'll give you maybe more of the contemporary marshal of the Medish Rabbah. Person gets a promotion, and now instead of only making... $750,000 a year, they're making nine fifty. dollars So Baruch Hashem, they could pay the bills a little bit easier. You know, life is not as rough. Tuition is still difficult. But with nine fifty, you could get by. At the, uh, at the end of the year, so after getting paid per month, again, you get your monthly salary. And then the CEO says, you know what? I just want to give you a bonus, something special just because I love you, here's another 25 grand. So what do you feel more Hakara Satov for? The 950, that's, that's pretty nice, or $25,000? Says the Manish Rabbah, it's likely you would feel more Hakara Satov for the $25,000 than the $950,000 for one simple reason. I didn't feel I was deserving that. That wasn't in the contract. We didn't, we didn't agree to that. I'm working per month to make this much over the year, and that's what I made. 
It's a lot of money, Baruch Hashem. I like money. That's a good thing. But the fact you throw in another $25,000, totally unexpected, totally something that, that was undeserving, that I have a whole different appreciation for. Explains the Rashba based on the Medish Rabbah. That was the unique Hargasha that Leah had. She felt, knowing through Navua that out of the four wives of Yaakov, each one should have three to make up the 12 shiftekah. As soon as she had number four, she was now saying, at this point in time, I see that I'm receiving more than I deserve. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody else, when they said thank you, Avram and Yitzchak and, and, and Rivka and Sarah, it doesn't mean that they felt they were deserving of everything. They knew they were making millions and millions of dollars, so to speak. But, but it wasn't with that sense of total hachna, of, of, of real humility, that everything I'm getting now is above and beyond that which I expected. That was the unique expression of gratitude that Leah Imenu had when she was naming her child Yehuda. So when analyzing the question, how do we really live with Hakara Satov? The answer is, a lot depends on expectations. The more I'm expecting, the more I feel that I'm deserving, the more that I'm entitled to, so then the less gratitude I'll feel. Because you give me millions of dollars, but if that's in the contract, and this is what I should be getting, so it's nice to have the money, but I don't really have that sense of, of, of shiflus, of hachna, of humility, and therefore a simcha, because I'm getting so much more than I deserve. This seems like the first step in having real hakarasatov. Like Yaakov Avinu says in the next week's parsha, Katonti Mikola Chasadim, I have been diminished by all of the chesed, meaning to say, he had that recognition that you're giving me so much more than I deserve. I had a conversation with one of my children. A while back, we were driving by a particular intersection where there were two different people asking for money. And one especially looked really, really run down and dirty and, and just so, so schwer. And we were schmoozing a little bit about you know, homeless people and why do they like Florida so much? What is it about Florida and Los Angeles? And the answer is the weather. <laughs> but I asked the question, what did you do to be here in the nice Honda Odyssey versus being there on the street corner, not having any food or family or support, asking for money, likely not knowing what tomorrow will bring. What schus do you have to be here? Ever think about that before? That same person who seems so incredibly distraught He's a pariah. Nobody looks at him. No one's machshev his existence. So I could feel bad for him. But do we ever ask ourselves, what did I do not to be him? And why am I me? And the answer is, absolutely nothing. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me this, this awesome bracha, a bracha that I can't even express in words, to be able to, to be here, to live in the time and place in which I do, to be part of the Am HaNivchar, to be part of Klal Yisrael, to be part of this mission of bringing Or Lagoyim. What did I do to deserve this? Nothing. 
And the more we realize, not that we're unworthy, but I'm not any more worthy than you are. And that's the Yisod. Right? Sometimes when, when parents or teachers are trying to, to work on, on engendering a sense of, of healthy self-esteem in children, they'll try to pump them up in a way where I'm, I'm making you feel good about yourself because you're better than somebody else, right? That must be the greatest picture in the class. I bet no one else was able to do such a good job. You're destroying self-esteem when you say that. To make sure that somebody feels worthy doesn't mean that you should feel better than other people. To the contrary. Everyone is worthy. At the same time, we're all undeserving of all of the billion chasadim that we receive daily. So to pump up self-esteem, you don't have to make someone feel that you are more roy, you are more, you know... um, worthy of getting something than somebody else. We're all undeserving. We're all equally undeserving. Then you could appreciate a chesed. The uh, Shlomo Volba writes, this is regarding the second idea of becoming a connoisseur in life and appreciating all of the details. He writes in the Alei Shor, that he was once having a conversation with the Zokein Muflog, with a very old gentleman who was a tremendous Talmud Chacham. He was no longer able to see or hear, only with great difficulty. He was unable to move, and Bal Yisurim Hayamirove Varv Hapanimim, and he had a tremendous pain internally of Oroshahayat Solo Vidibura Borur. But his head was still lucid, he was clear, and he was able to express himself. So Shlomo Volba writes that I asked this person how he was feeling. Right? How are you doing? Eichatab Margish. And he answered, Kedai kol yisurim shiba'olam lichios. He said back to Shlomo Volba, it's worth all of the suffering in the world, rak lichios, just to be able to keep on living. And here's the line that's so incredibly powerful. Hadover hanifla biyoser. What is the most miraculous thing in the universe? Hadover hanifla biyoser. Bechola olam kulo. Haim chaim atzmam. It's life itself. The most majestic miracle that we experience is the miracle of life, of consciousness, of emotion of thought, of feelings. Rastalma Volbi concludes, he said, if you think of a child who's just learning how to walk, and now they could run a little bit, and they're running from one room to, to a different room in the house, the level of simcha and, and, and satisfaction they feel as they're running around, he says, that's what life is. There's so much tanug, there's so much pleasure that's accessible. There's so much pain as well, and there's so much disappointment and disillusion, but there's so much pleasure there, we have to become connoisseurs of that pleasure. When we come to the, the birth of Yosef, I think we see this idea in a very real way. It says that Rachel finally, after so many years of tefillah, Vayizker Lakim es Rachel, Vayishma Aleha Lakim, Vayiftach es Rachma, 
Hashem allowed her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son, and she said, Hashem has removed my disgrace. Hashem has removed my disgrace. And she named her son Yosef. Yosef Hashem li ben acher, expressing the tefillah that Hashem should please be Mosef, should add on another child. What does that mean? She was thanking God for removing her disgrace. So Rashi famously quotes the Midrashic source where he says that as long as the wife does not yet have a child, she doesn't have anybody to blame things on. Once she does have a child, then right? when somebody asks the question, hey, who broke this thing? The answer is, it was your son, honey. <laughs> it wasn't me, it was your son. Who ate the rest of these te'enim? It was your son. That explains Rashi. That was the, that was the naming of Yosef HaTzadik. She was saying, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, now that I have a child, you've removed my degradation. Yitzchak, Yitzchak Meth, not to call you out, right? Have you ever had that experience where mother or father comes home looking forward to eat the leftovers from last night's dinner and they're no longer there and it was your fault and you consumed them, perhaps? I don't know. <laughs> Probably, once in a while. Do we understand who, who Rachel Amenu was? Rachel Amenu was a human being of such stature that if we were to meet her, if we were to stand within a football field's distance of Rachel Amenu, we would be blown away by the Kedusha, by the Tahara, by the, the energy just radiating from that Neshama Tahora. And the only thing she could think about when she has her first child that she's been davening for, not, not just for herself, not just for that, that natural, innate desire to have a child, but it was for Klal Yisrael. It was to be part of building the Shiftei That's why she wanted a child. It wasn't a selfish thing. And the only sh- thing she could think of is now when Tati comes home and he's looking, hey, wh- where's the sushi? Why is there only the vegetable rolls left over? Who ate the spicy tuna? Bincha. <laughs> Very troubling chazal. So there's a Gemara in Brachos that speaks about what bracha do we make when we're waiting for rain for so long and finally we have a downpour. May mevarchim. Omer Rav Yehuda. Rav Yehuda said, this is the text of the bracha that should be recited. Modi menachnulach, I'll call tipa v'tipa shehoradtalonu. Thank you, Hashem, for every drop of rain that's descending upon us. 
Modi menachnu loch, I'll call tipa v'tipa sheradthilonu. Why do we say kol tipa v'tipa? We, we've been dying until now. People have been suffering. There's a drought. There's no water. The crops are not growing. Finally, we have rain. Now, now it, every single drop of rain, let's say there was one drop of rain that was missing, or 5,000 drops of rain that were missing, we would still have a wonderful abundance of mayim. Right? Gishmei bracha. Why do we say kol tipa v'tipa? So explain the author of Slobodka, because although we could look at it in a universal way, we could say nationally, we were in a drought, and now, Baruch Hashem, we have water for Eretz Yisrael. You can't disregard, you can't neglect, you can't ignore all of the tiny, almost microscopic brachos within the greater bracha of Gishmei bracha. And therefore we say, kol tipa v'tipa, every drop, every ounce of this bracha, I'm not going to just look at what it's actually accomplishing in the, in, in the high level sense, but I'm going to appreciate every aspect, every nuance, every detail of the bracha that Hashem is showering literally upon us right now, kol tipa v'tipa. So we say, kol neshima v'neshima. We don't just thank Hashem that, that we're able to breathe. We're able to function. Our bodies can process the oxygen and be able to keep on moving about our lives without even thinking of the necessity to breathe. And you only appreciate this when you have a hard time doing so. But it's not the general thank you for allowing us to be alive. It's called neshima v'neshima, every single breath. That's becoming a connoisseur. That's becoming a connoisseur in life. See, sometimes I think we're a little bit superstitious and we maybe subconsciously hold back our, our feelings of gratitude for every aspect of this moment or this relationship or this conversation because we don't want to jinx it. We're very superstitious people. But lo zuhaderech, this is not the path of Torah. We have to be in tune to everything that I'm enjoying right now. The fact that we're in this room together, that we're connecting, we're learning Torah together, that the AC is working, Baruch Hashem, that the microphone is working, hopefully, and if it's not, the whole thing is worthless. <laughs> that we have different flavors of seltzer and different uh, types of sushi. There's so much going on right now. The fact that I'm not in pain. You know, when we're in pain, it, it, it's so distracting. Everything is just like bottle. Nothing exists because I just can't get over the fact that there's something in my eye. <laughs> A little tiny thing throws us off. Or, or my foot's really hurting. There's so much to be grateful for every second if we actually focus on it. That's becoming a connoisseur in life. This explains Rav Simcha Zisel Brody this is exactly what Rachel Imenu was saying. She wasn't forgetting about the fact that her real reason to have a child was to participate in the building of Klal Yisrael and participating in the destiny of the Jewish future. Of course, that's where her lave was. But she was also pointing out as a constant reminder to herself and for all of us for every generation I'm not only going to be thankful for having a child for all of the big things that it represents, 
for being able to be marbidoros and to, and to contribute to Klal Yisrael, but all of the little things, the fact that, that there's something so special about being able to cuddle up with a baby that, that I didn't have before, and I saw that my sister did. And, and I, I had kinah. It was, it was a kinah sofrim. It was a holy kinah. I was so happy for her. And I wanted to emulate her ways, but she had something that I didn't have. Therefore, Yosef, you're removing any cherpa, whatever exactly she was referring to. I don't think Yaakov Avinu came home yelling at the family that there's no more te'enim. This is disgusting. That was not Yaakov Avinu. But whatever little tiny microscopic drop of joy that she would get, that droplet wasn't lost in the ocean of bracha that she was receiving. When we live life like this, and I can't preach about this because we all struggle with complaining and getting trapped in the moment and, and stuck within the frustration. But when we read, we read these concepts, and I want to share with you a couple of amazing stories, it, it just creates a different she'ifa, creates a different picture of what we're striving for. And if we could be focused on all of the billions of blessings taking place, at every moment of our life, then we could start seeing things in perspective. We asked in the beginning, how is it ever possible to approach the level of the brother of the Grah that on his deathbed he's saying, I wish I had the energy to get up and sing and dance right now. How do we ever get there? The answer is, we have no chance of getting there unless we live like Rachel Imenu, focusing on all of the nuances then we have a chance of seeing things in perspective. Rav Yitzchak Zilberstein, uh, in his wonderful sefer, Simcha Babayis, he tells a story of a young kolal man coming to him who was distraught and just very negative about his marriage. He says, I'm an istinus. I'm the kind of person that I like everything nice and neat. Everything needs to be musudar. You know, I'm, I'm a yaki. And uh, I've told my wife so many times, you know, there are other things that I don't care about that much, but just having the house look like it's, it's put together when I come home. I work so hard every day. I'm learning two sudarim in the kolel, and I tutor a few different boys to get some extra money, and I know my wife works very hard also, but to come home and see toys all over the floor, and to see socks and, and, and pajamas, it just, it eats me up inside, and I can't do it anymore. And the expression he says to Rav Yitzchak Zilberstein is, Everything that I, that I tell her, lo ozer shum dover. Nothing helps. <laughs> she just doesn't get it. I'm at my wit's end. Now, anybody familiar with the personality of Rabbi Yitzchak Zilberstein, he doesn't mince his words, nor does he beat around the bush. <laughs> so he said back to this young man, he said, I hate to inform you, but you're kafoi tov, which means you're living a life where you're denying bracha. And, and the young man was taken aback. 
I wasn't denying bracha. I, I, I love her and I'm so happy with the marriage in general. It's just this thing really gets on my nerves. Said Rev Zilberstein, why is your house a wreck? What's on the floor? So sh- sh- should I give the Shiva examples again? Yeah, give me examples. So I said, toys. What kind of toys? Like, like, like what kind of? Yeah, yeah, what, what, what are the toys? Uh, trucks, little, um, you know, uh, trains, uh, clothing. What kind of clothing? Pajamas, you know, for, for which children? For the younger ones, but sometimes even the older ones. The six-year-old will leave his pajamas around. So he said to the young man, he said, you have to realize what's happening here. I understand that, that this is something that bothers you, but you're not seeing it from the perspective of everything that's going on in this moment. In the moment that you walk in the door, the reason why your house is a mess is because you have more bracha than most people in this world can ever fathom. The reason why you have toys on the floor is because you have children who play with toys. The reason why you have pajamas on the couch is because, Baruch Hashem, you have human beings who are under your guiding, sheltering wings that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you these neshamos to be madrich, and they need clothing, and Baruch Hashem, you have clothing. His point was, sometimes the, the complaints in life And this is not to invalidate anything that bothers a person because there are ways to work on it, there are conversations to be had. The answer is not just keep it inside and never express yourself. But the goal of what Rabbi Yitzchak Zilberstein was saying is that we have to have the whole picture when we see it in context. And I'm a connoisseur, I'm I'm, I'm picking up, I'm sensitive to everything that's going on. I'm the princess laying on the 14 mattresses, but I could sense that pee underneath. Pshat is that those things don't bother me as much because I see it in the context of bracha. I want to speak briefly about this last point of putting gratitude into action. Rav Yitzhak Zilberstein speaks about a, uh, an older Talmud Chacham he saw in B'nai Brak, who was pushing his wife in a wheelchair, and it looked like he was really struggling. He was walking down Rechov, Rabbi Akiva, in B'nai Brak, Bifnei Am Ve'eda, in front of the whole community, and uh, he's schwitzing, it's a hot day, and he's pushing his rabbits in. So Rav Zilberstein writes that I, I thought maybe he just didn't have money on him to order a cab. So I approached him and I said, can I, can I get a monit for you? Can I order a cab? And the man smiled. He said, I, I could order a cab myself if I needed to. And I'm okay, Baruch Hashem. The man went on to explain why he was pushing his wife in the wheelchair. He said, The reason why I prefer to be schlepping my wife in the wheelchair, although I'm schwitzing and we're in the middle of the city, is to show to my wife and all of those around us 
that she should not feel any semblance of busha, any sense of being embarrassed based on her present condition. And, she, and he explained to Reb Zilberstein, you know, the, the issues that she's dealing with right now, they've created a situation where she is not the vibrant, outspoken, loud and, and energetic Rebbitson she was a few years ago. And she doesn't want me to feel at all that, that I'm embarrassed being with her. And I tried telling her that, trust me, it, it's, it's a schuz to be able to be together wherever we go. I would never for a second feel any busha that, that you, you have to be suffering like this right now. I only want your best. But she didn't really believe me fully. And therefore, every chance I have, I take her in front of the Gantz B'nai Brak, and I don't walk on the sidewalks. He said, I walk down the middle of the street with her to let everybody know, and especially my wife, that there's nothing to be ashamed of. This is what a Kaddish Baruch Hu has in mind for us right now. But the hakoras hatov, the gratitude that I have for her, for everything that she's done for me, for all of the mesiris nefesh, for raising the children, for trying her best over so many decades, there's nothing more that I want out of life right now than to make sure that she knows I'm there to support her and chas v'sholem, I would never feel any pangs of busha. That's putting hakoras hatov into practice. It's not about making someone else feel good, although that's obviously the main reason why we do it. But it's transformative to us when we have that opportunity, not just to have the machshava, but to bring it poel, to actually say and live gratitude. I want to end off with two stories about a fire. And these stories are strikingly similar. Strikingly, no pun intended. They happened almost exactly 100 years apart. But I think they're both wonderful examples of taking that feeling of gratitude and making sure to do something with it so it has a kiyum, so it could actually transform me and my family. The first is a story with Rav Avram Danzig. He was the author of the Chayyadim. At the very end of the Sefer, the Chayyadim, where he's speaking about the Halachas of Purim, he writes that you should know that if a nace happens to you personally, if you or your family or Kol in the entire city goes through some kind of miracle, then you're allowed to be mesakein. You can make your own personal yontif. You can make your own personal yontif on that day going forward in the future, not just for you, but for your children and grandchildren, to celebrate this particular time that a miracle happened to the family. And then he writes about something personal. He said, We make a personal yontif on the miracle that happened to us. Bishnas Tov Kuf Sam in the year 1802. Tes Zion Kislev. So the two stories I'm sharing with you, both very similar, happened a hundred years apart, one a few days before where we're holding right now, and one a few days after where we're holding right now, in the month of Kislev. 
the Chayadim says that there is a terrible destruction in the courtyard in which we lived. And there was a fire that was spreading totally out of control. Many of the homes fell, and one of my homes as well. And the room that all of my family was in, two half of the walls came tumbling down, and one beam from the ceiling. And one of the walls fell in my daughter Vitka. To the point where she was this close, not making it. And my wife as well. She was hurt badly in this. And the room that I was sitting in with my son. The windows blew out. The door broke open. And the walls shattered as well. There was no one in the family who didn't have some blood from this, some more, some less. Hashem in His compassion had Rachmanes on us, and He allowed us to live through this terrible tragedy. He said 31 other people passed away that day, but miraculously we lived, and therefore he said, Kabalti alive al-Zari. I, I accepted upon myself and my descendants, bleed neder, that Tes Vav Kislev, the 15th of Kislev from now on, should be a personal yontif for the Danzing family. That's an example of putting gratitude into action. Not just saying thank you, but as a constant reminder, this is the day we get together and we celebrate Yeshua's Hashem. We have a similar thing in our family, Baruch Hashem. We have uh, Tess Zion ER is a day that we celebrate. That was the day of my son's transplant. Tess Zion ER is now a personal yontif in the Light family. So there's taking gratitude and trying to make sure there's a kiyum that whatever inspiration, whatever feelings of, of Kedusha that existed years back should never, never dissipate. It's now part of the, the cycle of the year. It's part of what we do. 100 years before the Chayadim story, we have perhaps a more famous story of the Pnei Yeshua. The Pnei Yeshua was Rav Yaakov Yeshua Falk, the author of the Pnei Yeshua, one of the most well-learned svarim in all yeshivas in the world. When he wrote the, with the Pnei Yeshua, the Chassam Sofer said that since the writing of the Chadusha HaRashba, going back hundreds of years ago in the 13th century, there has never been a sefer as, as deep, as, as intricate and shas as the Pnei Yeshua. Talmidim said that he finished the entire Shas 36 times, learning in depth, before he allowed himself to write his Sefer. Only after 36 times learning Shas, then he felt comfortable writing the Sefer. And lastly, the Chida, 
The Chidah writes in the Shem HaGadolim, it's a biographical sketch of many, many Torah giants. He says, I had the schos to visit the Pnei Yeshua during his travels through Europe. And he writes in the Shem HaGadolim that I was zocha to be Mekabel Pnei HaShchina. I felt like I was standing in front of the Divine Presence when I was together with the Pnei Yeshua. His appearance was like a Malach Elohim. This is what the Chida writes about the Pnei Yeshua. In the introduction to his Sefer, the Pnei Yeshua explains why he wrote the Sefer. What compelled him to create something that literally changed the world of Torah scholarship? So he says, this was Gimel Kislev, in the year Tuf Samach Gimel. 1702, he was only 22 at the time, with the young wife, and they had one daughter. Sholavayisi Bebesi, I was serene in my house, I was with my friends and my Talmidim, and we were learning together Bechabura, we were learning Torah together. And then suddenly, echoing the words of the Chayyadim that would actually come after a century later, there was this massive, terrible fire that broke out. He writes there were, there were barrels of gunpowder that exploded, and the flames were consuming the entire city. His house was surrounded, looking out the window, flames were towering up to Shemayim. There were 36 people that died that day. And here, he did not have the same miracle that the Chai Adam would have later on. He said, amongst those Kedoshim who perished, one was my wife, Allah Shalom, her mother, Maras Rezel, and the father of her mother. And tragically he writes, and even while he's speaking about his own personal devastation, when you look at the word choice and, and the phraseology, every line is paraphrasing and quoting something else from Tanakh or Shas as he's writing his Hagdama. And he says, My das... Biti hakatana gitel, my little girl gitel. Achas haisa she was beloved to her mother. Vachavivi alai beyeser says, and she was so beloved to me that words can't even describe the avas shel kayama that I have for her. But they all perished. and I was also from those who had fallen. He explains he was trapped under rubble. There were there were all sorts of uh, debris, parts of the house and uh, the walls and bricks and mortar that collapsed upon him. And I was scared that my house would become my grave. However, he said, as I was almost losing consciousness, I heard 20, 30 minutes later there were people moving around on top of me. I was being weighed down by all of the force of the fall. But at least I heard there were people searching. And at that moment, I said to myself, I'm no longer for sure going to die. It's only a suffix. Now, now there's a suffix. Now I have a chance I might survive. And this is what I said. Right? This is what I voiced when I was there, buried under the rubble. Losing my entire family. Azamarti Odeni Betochagal, 
Im yiyeh elokim imadi. Where do those words come from? Right? From this week's Parsha. That's what Yaakov Avinu said. Yaakov made a ned there. Lamer im yiyeh elokim imadi. The Pnei Yeshua said the same thing. Vahotzieni min hamakum hazel l'shalom. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu gets me out of here l'shalom. And allows me to build a bias neman laharbos gavuli betalmidim to be able to teach more talmidim lo emna atmi mikosel beis hamedrash I will never refrain from dwelling in the kosle beis medrash from living in the walls of the the beis medrash velishkud al dalse ha'iyun besugias hashas devoting every waking hour every fiber of my being to the complexities, to the depth of Shas and Poskim, to live Torah and to teach the world as much as I can. And he said, before I finish saying these words, at that moment, they started to uncover the rocks and the rubble that was on top of me. And at that point, I saw there was a Yeshua. There was a Pnei Yeshua. That's taking a sense of gratitude and making sure now I feel this, this sense of Hakara Satov that Hashem let me survive. Why me and not others? I don't know. But I have to make sure that now I use my life as, as, as productive as possible to maximize every moment. Ketonti Mikola Chasadim, three avenues of living with a deeper sense of gratitude is the understanding that we have so much that we don't deserve. Not that we're unworthy, but I'm no more worthy than you are. And to appreciate all of the chesed Hashem showers upon us. The second idea is to become connoisseurs. Not just looking at the big picture, but looking at all of the tiny little aspects of the chesed, of the moment, of the relationship, of the conversation. Everything that's happening right here that contributes to the bracha. To see things in perspective not to feel that the brachos Hashem gave us is a reason to complain. There's always good reasons to complain. But if I'm complaining because I have a bracha of too many toys or, or too many uh, things on the floor, the answer to that question is, there will be a time when things will be very neat. Right? You visit the nursing home, you walk into the room, the floors, right? the dresser right by the bed, no toys, no pajamas, just nice, sterile, clean, and neat. And therefore, to have a karasatov for the mess and the chaos that life brings. And third, the idea of putting the gratitude into action. If it's celebrating something that has taken place in the past or trying to commit to doing something different and meaningful for the future because of the gratitude that we have, these are ways in Mirza Shem we could take Hakaras Atov, not just verbalize it, not just think about it, but to live it. Shkoyach.